Hello and welcome to Wibbly Wobbly Chatty Watty, the ultimate Doctor Who rewatch podcast. I'm your host, Dean, and as I am every week, I'm joined by my good friend and Doctor Who fanatic, Andrea. Hello, Andrea. Hi, Dean. How are you this week? I'm pretty good. You know, same as every week, ready to dive into some Doctor Who. Wow, you're sounding a bit like Tom Daly there. Yeah, we all know how much he loves to dive into a bit of Matt Smith. I don't know what that means. Let's move on. Yes, let's. Have you got a sentence summary for us? And would you like to explain what I mean by a sentence summary? Of course, of course, Andrea. Every week, Andrea and I like to summarise the plot into a sentence, which seems a bit redundant because later on I go through a thorough plot summary that just really clears everything up. But we do it anyway. And my sentence summary is, the Doctor, Rose and Jack need to stop a rapidly spreading virus, which makes people feel pretty homesick. Oh, that's a sweet way of putting it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. What's your sentence summary? Please um, enlighten us. It is this. Stephen Moffat allows the characters of this episode to live, knowing full well the carnage he's going to later bring to the Hooniverse. Good stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you. Enigmatic. Leaving you to do all the work Mm. in your plot summary. Wow, thanks. Yeah, both of us. Speaking of me doing work i want to give you some facts about this episode but they're pretty boring facts okay this episode was written as you just said by stephen moffat who goes on to write another flipping 46 episodes after this one which i think is pretty impressive and it's directed by james hawes who goes on to direct christmas invasion new earth and school reunion and that's it so this episode was broadcast on the 28th of may 2005 what were you doing then I was thinking, wow, I'm so happy it's the 28th of May 2005. What a day to be alive. What were other people doing, Dean? Well, yeah, I feel like I had three good deaths in a row at the start of the season, and now I can't get anyone to die on the days (laughs) I want. Yeah, something nice has happened on this day, and I'm not happy about it. Uh, Justin Trudeau, the current Prime Minister of Canada, got married. Wow, who to? Um, It's Sophie Trudeau. Wow, is that fact Trudeau? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is true. Um, Sophie Trudeau also has a French middle name, which I'm not going to try and say. And she started off as a television host. And fun fact, Justin Trudeau's dad was also a politician. Wow, that is so interesting. Wow, wow. Sound of excitement in my voice. Can I get on to my fun facts now and move on from this weirdly political Canadian thing that we've got going? I suppose. Thank you very much. So my first fun fact for this episode, The Doctor Dances, is that the nanogenes, which are obviously very central to the story, as it turns out, but I won't give too much away yet. I'll leave that to Dean and his plot summary. But the nanogenes were originally referred to as nanites in the script. But this was later changed because they, it sounded too Star Trekky. Yeah, and to be fair, I'm surprised they figured it sounded too Star Trekky because we've already established that Stephen Moffat knows nothing about Star Trek. <laughs> For those of you who haven't listened to our episode from last week, he's of course referring to the fact that they mention Spock and how he's the cool one when apparently he's not the cool one, is he, Dean? No, he's a good guy. I've got nothing against Spock. He's just not suave and um, smooth and badass. So basically, he's as uncool as you are. My second fun fact is that Jamie's voice is recorded on the tape, and we hear this tape eventually run out in his hospital room in that chilling moment with Captain Jack, Rose and the Doctor all stood there. But this wasn't actually possible in the UK for this technology to exist. It was already possible in Germany, but it didn't work its way across the globe until after World War II. Wow, that's great. Isn't it just? And my final fun fact today is that the viewing figures for this episode were actually the lowest so far for the entire series. How dare they? This is a good episode. I mean, the long game gets better ratings than this. Hmm. Probably Simon Pegg. Yeah, it was just all of his family gathered around, the whole Pegg household. 
millions of them. I'd like to point out though that the viewing figures may have been the lowest because it was broadcast on a bank holiday weekend and it was still the most watched programme that day. So it wasn't doing too badly. Maybe they were all at Justin Trudeau's wedding. Yeah, I think I was. How about you? I was. Anyway, what's your next fun fact? That was the end of my fun facts. That's why I said my final fun fact. Oh, okay. I wasn't really listening. I don't care about anything you have to say. Moving on to our next section. Let's go. This is the section of the podcast where we take it in turns to present each other with some interesting facts about the episode we're talking about in the form of a trivia quiz, which is fun. And Andrea this week has written a quiz for me and you, listener at home, to answer. So go ahead, Andrea. Yes, do get ready to send in your answers. Not that we have that sort of technology, so that's not even something we're capable of, but please do think of your answers at least, everyone listening at home. And of course you, Dean, because if you don't reply, then this section kind of falls to nothing. So please do reply, please. My first question is this. Which moment from this episode was voted television's golden moment of 2005 by viewers? Was it when A, the tape runs out and Jamie suddenly appears in his hospital room? B, the typewriter begins to type itself? C, Rose tells Nancy the Germans don't win the war? D, Nancy and Jamie embrace? Or E, the doctor gives his everybody lives speech? Well, let me give you some bloody answers. And by answers, I mean one answer. And the answer I'm going to give is A, because I feel like that's the famous scene from this episode. You would be correct. Boom. The golden moment of 2005 was that the tape runs out in Jamie's room and he's suddenly there. It's all very tense and it's a bit of a moment. See, that seems like a bit of a bad best moment of the year. Do you know what I mean? It must have been a very dull year. Yeah. Hurricane Katrina happened. Wait, no, that isn't good. Damn it. Um, what else happened? YouTube was founded in 2005. That seems pretty golden to me for a tool I'm sure we all use. I use spanners more, but whatever works for you. Wow. Wow. Do you know what happened in 2005? You, do you want to know what happened in 2005 that I think is the golden moment? If it's going to be someone's death, then no. Oh, no, it's a good thing. The UK passed a law that meant you could get civil partnerships. Oh, no, that is a good thing. I'm surprised. My second question is this. Which previous doctor allegedly claimed this was his favourite episode of the series? A. Tom Baker B. Peter Davison C. Colin Baker D. Sylvester McCoy or E. Paul McGann Hmm. Now this is where you like to try and trick me, which I don't appreciate if I'm being brutally honest. I try to trick you on all of them, to be honest. It just doesn't work on the majority. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I get what you mean. I get what you're shouting about. But to be honest, I don't know. And can you just give me the options one more time while I try and channel my inner brain? So it's Doctors 4 to 8. A. Tom Baker, B. Peter Davison, C. Colin Baker, D. Sylvester McCoy, or E. Paul McGann. I'm going to go with the seventh Doctor, because why the hell not? Well, why the hell not indeed? I'll tell you why. Because it was actually C. Colin Baker. Ha! I tricked you good, didn't I, my podcast little tool friend? Can we just move on to the next question, please? I think that I think that would be best. <laughs> As there is in most of the episodes of the series, there is a subtle hint to the bad wolf story arc in the Doctor Dances. But what is it? A. Bad wolf is scrawled in the corner of one of Jamie's drawings. B. Jack mentions the Bad Wolf Company in passing whilst talking about the weapons factory in Villengard. C. At the top of the letter ripped off the typewriter, the words Bad Wolf can be seen. D. Schlechter Wolf is written on the side of the bomb Jack stops from falling on the crash site. Or E. 
Bad Wolf LTD appears inscribed inside Jack's spaceship. I would just like to say you did pick some good fake options there. I'm Thank thoroughly you. impressed. I really think it's got to be the Schlechter Wolf one because that one feels like the one you wouldn't come up with. Hey, I did a GCSE in German. I know what wolf means in German. I thought that and I was like, oh, but she did. And then I changed my mind and stuck with the answer. And now you're going to tell me I'm right. You were right. And all German knowledge has fallen out of my head since. So yes, yes, it was that Schlechter Wolf is written on the side of the bomb. Jack stops from falling on the crash site. I've never noticed that before, but I will be sure to look out for it next time. Yeah, you do that. Thank you, I will. Next question. Which scene was added in by Stephen Moffat when the episode ran short? Was it the scene in which A. Mr Lloyd discovers Nancy in his house B. Nancy warns the orphans that the child will always be following them if they stay with her C. Rose and Nancy fix the barbed wire together D. Jack says farewell to his spaceship computer or E, the Doctor and Rose dance in the TARDISs. I mean, I really doubt it's E because of the, the name of the episode. And I have thoughts on this scene that I'm about to say and why it feels out of place to me later on. So I'm going to go with that scene, which is when Nancy says the boys aren't safe. Damn it, Dean, you'd be right again. Boom. And I honestly didn't think you would. My final question is this. In which future episode does the Doctor reference the greatness of bananas again? A. The Christmas Invasion B. The Girl in the Fireplace C. Voyage of the Damned D. Let's Kill Hitler or E. Time Heist Okay, so in my mind I thought uh, the, 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 the Girl in the Fireplace but now I'm not sure and I'm starting to think it might be um, Christmas Invasion and I, it is a David Tennant episode I'm confident to say that so I'm going to go with the girl in the fireplace. I tried so hard to make you doubt yourself, but you didn't. Yes, it was the girl in the fireplace. That was the end of trivia for today. I hope you enjoyed yourself. You did actually quite well. I know. I, I do well every week because I ain't a silly person like you. Let's go on to the next section to show how much of a silly person I'm not. Yes, I was just thinking that might be the case. <laughs> Every week, Dean likes to bless us with his own interpretation of the episode's plot. So, of course, today he will be giving us an overview of the Doctor dances. Whenever you're ready, Dean, take it away. When, whenever you're ready. I'm not ready yet. I'm just going to wait a minute. Oh, okay. To... Okay, that's cool. It's cool, 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 cool. I realise I just sounded like a bird, like doing some mating thing. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> Are you ready yet? Yeah. The episode last time ended with the Doctor and Captain Jack and Rose surrounded by gas masks wearing zombie people and they were like, are you my mummy? And it was quite scary. Um, and, and the girl called Nancy was hiding under a table from her brother, wink wink. That, that came off weird but I didn't mean it to. And the doctor's like, oh no, I'm about to be killed by all these gas mask people asking if I'm their mum. And he goes, go to your room. And they all just go and they go back to their bed. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty cool. And then he turns around to Captain Jack and he goes, you're not pretty cool because you caused this. And Captain Jack's like, whoa, doctor, I didn't cause anything. I'm just trying to con you. Normally my con goes, I crash a ship and then that's that's empty and then i convince someone it costs lots of money and then i sell it to them and then i drop a bomb on it and then i keep the money and that's how it works and the doctor's like well obviously it wasn't empty because there's gas mask zombies walking around and jack's like no 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 and rose is like what are we doing now and the doctor's like i'm going upstairs he goes upstairs to the boys room the boy who wants to know who his mummy is. And he starts talking and he's like, oh, well, this boy's looking for his mummy and blah, blah, blah. And the tape stopped, which is weird. So I wonder what's behind me. I'm going to turn around really slowly. Ooh. 
oh, it's the boy. And that's why Nancy survived, because the boy went to his room. That's where the doctors, they escape through the wall, they run away, and they get locked in a cellar, which isn't so fun. But Captain Jack isn't locked in a cellar. He can teleport away. And he later frees the Doctor and Rose after they have a little um, conversation. Meanwhile, Nancy gets caught by the owners of the house she snuck into last week. And they're all like, naughty, naughty, naughty. And Nancy's like, well, actually, sir, you're gay, so let me go. And then he's like, sure thing, here's some wire cutters. So she goes to the crash site. Meanwhile, now the Doctor and Rose have been freed. They're like, let's go to the crash site. And they go to the crash site, and they're on the ship, and on Captain Jack's ship, <laughs> on Captain Jack's ship, the doctor's like wow you've got nano genes on here this is pretty cool and definitely not foreshadowing and and yeah they get to the crash site nancy gets locked up next to some guy who's turning into a gas mask zombie captain jack goes to flirt with some guy who's turning into a gas mask zombie and it takes him far too long to realize it's a gas mask zombie and rose is disgusted by the fact that captain jack um is um sexually um flexible as the doctor put it um, just like Nancy was by the man. Anyway, where was I? Yeah, and that's pretty much what happens. They get to the crash site and the doctor's like, nanogenes make people evil, cast mask men, and they're all on their way here. And Rose is like, oh no, and Captain Jack's like, bye-bye, this bomb's about to drop on us, and he teleports away. But he comes back to stop the bomb from dropping on them after Nancy and the boy have a hug because he realises that Nancy's actually the mum and not the brother. And that's why I made that weird comment. Sister, mum, dad, uncle. That's the end of the episode. Thank you for that, Dean. And I didn't realise that John Barrowman was actually going to be guest starring in that section. So thank you to John as well, who you also heard, listeners. That's all right, Andrea. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks. You can you can go now. So what did you think of the setting for this episode, Dean? The same as whatever I said last week, to be honest. Wait, that sounded a bit mean, but you know what it I mean. It did. It did. My feelings are hurt, but it's okay. I just wanted to talk about the design of Captain Jack's spaceship, because it's the one thing we didn't really talk about last week. And I think it's actually pretty cool. And I was watching confidential and Russell T Davis wanted it to be a bit more hip a bit more sleek sleek that's exactly the right word whilst the rest of the crew including the set designer and Stephen Moffat and the director were all pushing for it to be the sort of hybrid between a sleek cutting edge spaceship and a bit of a mangled old retro kind of look and i yeah. think they've really achieved a good looking spaceship going with that vision yeah it's a shame we don't get to see more of it because it is pretty pretty sick it is and the effects from last week when you see jack and rose walk and stand on it are really impressive unfortunately we don't get to see that in this episode but i just thought i'd give that a shout out are you ready to go on to the standout moments of Doctor Dances? Well, what you don't realise is I'm already here. I'm just waiting for you. This is the section where every week Andrew and I give each other and you at home, listener, our standout moments. The first standout moment from me, Mr Dean, is when the Doctor announces to all the gas mask zombies, go to your room. Wow, thank you for that. Standout moment, Mr. Dean. <laughs> I would agree it's a very good opening. It resolves the issue quickly, but you don't really see it coming. And it really plays on the fact that, you know, it's just about this one child. Yeah, it. I like how it happens when you're a bit like, wait, what? And then they explain it further later on. But I think this really sets up the theme that in this episode, for Christopher Eccleston, we do have a really silly doctor compared to what we get later on or previously in other episodes of him. I think this might be the silliest Christopher Eccleston we've seen yet. Yeah, and it's very funny when he says, I'm glad that worked. Those would have been terrible last words. <laughs> it's a good joke, yeah. 
Yeah, and it's relatively unusual for the last bit of footage before the opening credits to just be a joke. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It worked well. Thank you, Stephen Moffat. Thank you, Mr. Dean. You're welcome, Mr. Andrea. My next standout moment is when they discover Jamie's room and they go through there and it's the whole tape scene, the golden moment of 2005. I'm not sure I'd go as far to say it was the highlight of an entire year (laughs) globally, but it is one of the best scenes. It really makes me jump. I'm not particularly scared of this two-parter anymore, whereas I think as a younger child I was, but I know what's coming up now so I don't have that novelty factor of "Ah, where did that kid just appear from? But it's still chilling, especially when you hear the tape run out. And that's something that's used again in the typewriter scene, which I find equally chilling, the fact that something is going on. But only if you're a really active spectator will you notice it. And it's so obvious, but also it can go unseen or unnoticed. I do have a bit of a problem with the golden moment of 2005. And that's... So I'm going to go back to talking about World War Three, an episode we talked about a few weeks ago, and we complained about the moment at the start of the episode where the Doctor's surrounded by men with guns, and he goes, well, if I was you, and you were about to execute me in front here, you wouldn't back me against the elevator. And then the music goes, well, he like slips into the elevator, does a little wave, blows them a kiss, and the door closes. I feel like this is a very similar moment. because Blows them a little kiss. I was hoping you wouldn't notice I said that. Missed that. that. Um, I think this is a very similar moment, the way they're both just chilling there and the doctor's like, wait, the tape has run out. But that means something bad has happened and I sent him to his room. So I wonder what's going to be there when I turn around. And throughout this entire speech, even though Rose is facing the doctor, she doesn't see the boy over his shoulder and she doesn't think to look over his shoulder while he's talking about the tape running out and they both turn around and they both have a shocked reaction at the same time it just felt a little forced to me that's maybe fair enough and you would think that if you were in that situation you wouldn't just be saying oh this is bad isn't it if we turn around something bad's happened wow this is so bad you wouldn't you wouldn't do that you wouldn't react in that way but it just makes it builds up the suspense yeah i think it could have worked better if you went the tapes run out and he turns around and they're like so shocked that the boys are and they start backing against the wall and they're like, the tapes run out. I sent him to his room and he says that bit after they've seen the boy and then they run away. That could work, but I do really like how you have that moment of almost reflection where you can hear the crackling of the tape. And you might not have that if you jumped to the point so quickly. And I also love how you hear him saying, I am here, over and over again. <laughs> and he literally goes, I'm here, turn around, look at me. Very attention-seeking, <laughs> that one, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. What would your first stand-up moment be? Well, you've covered my first two, but my next one would be when Nancy is confronted by Mr Lloyd, who discovers her raiding his house, as she has before. And it's meant to be him putting her in her place, but the tables turn and she becomes a more interesting character in that one scene. I think she's a bit more plain and one dimensional in The Empty Child, but this is when she's given a bit more character and she's quite feisty. And it's very funny how she's so commanding in a house that isn't hers. And it sort of shows how she's had to grow up despite being relatively young still, because of the war, because of the motherhood that we're yet to know about, and the death of her, inverted commas, brother. So you learn a bit more about her through the subtext of how she's so strong in that scene. And it's also just very funny, and Mr Lloyd has really put in his place. Thoughts? No, I agree. It is quite funny. I always forget this bit happens. as It's like strikes me as a bit the reveal of him being the gay man strikes me as a bit weird because we'd never really find out how she knows that all she says is well i've been looking through your cupboards so i know you have lots of money and that obviously means you've been cheating on your wife but you know it's not that much of a problem unless you have a podcast where you talk about doctor and you delve into these finer details imagine having a podcast like that wow i'd be envious yeah 
That's because you don't have one, because I run this show, Mr. Andrea. Can I jump back to the tape scene? Because I realise there's a very good joke there I forgot to mention. Yes. And that's after being extremely panicked, when they're like all very scared, when they run out of the room, the doctor says, don't drop the banana. And they go, why? And he goes, it's a good source of potassium. <laughs> it gets me every time. It get, it like surprises me every time and it makes me laugh. I do really enjoy it. It is funny. And it's another quirky thing about this particular version of the Ninth Doctor that we have in this episode. And also, when I watched The Girl in the Fireplace, which was very soon after I rewatched this episode for the podcast, I'd forgotten that there was a banana reference in there, as we spoke about in trivia. And knowing that those are the back-to-back episodes that Stephen Moffat wrote, you know, the next one right after is The Girl in the Fireplace. Is he obsessed with bananas? Is that something that if he'd been head writer and given full reign whilst in that role, he every episode would have had a banana reference? Who knows? There's only one way to find out, and that would be to use the TARDIS to travel to an alternative timeline just once and then we can't return. Wow, let's do that. Bye, everyone. We're just going to go off to that alternative timeline. Bye. Hi, guys. We're from the alternative timeline where Doctor Who gets renamed Banana Who, but we just rewatched the show because we swapped with the other Dean and Andrea. And um, now we're here to talk about this episode of Doctor Who in this alternative timeline we're not used to. Yeah, I mean, in our world, it was actually released in 2006, and it was on the day that the French Prime Minister got married to his wife. Fun fact about that, this is, this is true. French President Macron is married to his old school teacher. That is 100% true. You can look it up. I thought you were going to say he was married to Justin Trudeau. <laughs> in the alternative timeline we're from, he is married to Justin Trudeau. Anyway, let's get off this weird... Um, bit, I don't think we can call it a bit, to uh, my next standout moment, which would be the typewriter scene, which we've already talked about. The reason I thought it was a bit out of place is because to me it feels like such a repeat of the um, tape scene, because it's kind of just technology doing stuff by itself, and there's the same reveal that annoyed me in 2005's Golden Moment, where Nancy goes, well, if I'm not safe, then... I ask you, dear orphan children who I associate with, who is typing on the typewriter? Because as you see, your friend is sitting right next to you. It's the really slow reveal where normally you'd like get halfway through that and everyone sitting there would go, what? What's going on? (laughs) You're right. There is a real resemblance, which is basically a repeat. And that only really became obvious to me when taking my notes on the standout moments because I felt like I was putting the same point down twice. But I still think it's effective. And if anything, I feel like the typewriter typing itself is more chilling because it's him controlling it from afar rather than him being in the room and just speaking over a tape that's run out. But it's not quite as effective because you've seen the same trick done before. However, I would say that you saying there are moments when they're like, if that typewriter is still typing and your friend is here, moments like that, when there's a slow realisation, are quite common in Doctor Who. Yeah. They just really grind my gears in this episode specifically. But you're right, it happens a lot, but this annoyed me in this episode because they are just so slow. Like, the, the, the first one in 2005's Golden Moment, annoyed me specifically because rose is like hey doctor what's that noise i'm not going to look over your shoulder to see what where the noise is coming from and see the boy standing there i'm just going to ask you what it is and that's what happens that's fair (laughs) but i find it interesting i feel like it's something that stephen moffat enjoys doing it's something that maybe he brings into the show a bit more because you see it in The Girl in the Fireplace, which, as I've already said, is the episode he writes next, when there's the whole, if this is the only clock in the room and it's broken, then what's that ticking noise? Things like that. Yeah. But in this episode, because there's two of them, it doesn't come off quite as well. But when they're you know, dotted around episodes a bit more freely, rather than just a repeat happening like in this episode, they're such iconic chilling yet funny moments yeah i get what you mean i think these ones are especially drawn out as well compared to other ones yeah i i have problems with stephen moffat as a writer and this is one of them i'm not saying he's a bad writer it's just we'll get on you to are it. you are 
yeah, he can be. Like, the end of Sherlock is the biggest load of bollocks I've ever seen. But we're not here to talk about that. I'm glad we're not, to be honest. But, yeah, <laughs> anyone could be a good writer and a bad writer. My next stand-up moment is another bit of a bad one. This is a great episode, but I'm going to keep complaining because I, I feel like I need to keep complaining because this is recognised as, like, the best episode of Doctor Who of in Christopher Eccleston's entire career and blah 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 and I don't think it is that and I think I need to bring it down a notch second or third or fourth best episode of the series and the moment I've got to complain about is when Jack goes hey Rose do you remember this song on the radio and starts playing that song and Rose turns around and goes haha it's our song for a start it's not our song Elton John isn't even born yet in 1941 but that's that's your song Damn it, you're right. <laughs> yeah, it just feels a bit off for me because it's this same thing with Rose flirting too much. And you don't get a lot of the flirting in this episode, I think, because of the reveal that he's a con man. But this moment still stands out to me because she's all like, ha ha, I've known him so well. We have a song together. Ha ha ha, ha 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 ha. Shut up. I completely agree. And just to say that Elton John wasn't alive. He was born in 1947, making him 73 now, and he would have been minus several years then. Thank you for doing that maths for us. Well done. You're welcome. I didn't want to say the wrong number, but in (laughs) avoiding numbers altogether, I just made it worse for myself. Another standout moment for me is when, well, it's not even really a moment. It's a glimpse. A little... glimpse. A little... Link and you miss it moment. When Jack is talking in his spaceship about how he lost two years of his memory and he wants that back, and the doctor looks at him, and you probably won't have even noticed this, but the doctor looks at him quite sorrowfully. And it's almost as if he wants that. He wishes that he could forget the last few years of his life. And obviously we have the context of the time war. And in that moment, I feel like he both sympathises and envies Jack. And I found that quite interesting because I never looked at it that way. But through an analytical lens, it allowed me to really appreciate that little glance that Eccleston gives us there. Yeah, it's good. I mean, without seeing this moment, I can't decide whether you're reading too much into into this or not. But it does feel like something that would fit in this season because in this season we do get lots of little teases at the time more instead of flat out this is what happened moments if you catch my drift i do i catch it and then i put it on the floor in a safe warm place my next standout moment would be when the soldier that jack walks up to at the crash site falls to his knees and transforms into a gas mask zombie yeah um i keep complaining i have so much good stuff to say when we get to characters so don't think i hate this episode because i don't i think it's a very good episode as I've said, I just think it's overhyped. It's just Captain Jack's a bit thick in this moment where um, where the guy goes, are you my mummy? And Jack goes, like, what are you talking about? Like, seriously, that's a bit silly. And it takes him like two or three attempts to say it for Captain Jack to realise that he's turning into one of those zombies that has been saying it this entire time. This is actually one of the points in my improvement section, but since we're <laughs> on it, I will reiterate what you're saying. It's out of character for Captain Jack. I'm not saying that he's an amazingly intelligent character, but he's normally quite clued up. Yeah, he's a bit switched on. And it's quite smooth in scenarios. But here he's completely dumb. It's not like he's just been chased by loads of people going, are you my mummy? And then this other guy starts saying, and he's like, what the hell are you talking about? Do you, do you think I look like your mum? This is a bit weird for me, since I admired your bottom earlier. It's all a bit, what are you doing, Jack? I mean, if John Barrowman hadn't just gone home in his taxi, I'd ask, I'd ask him about it. So I also think the transformation we have before then, when the soldier who sat with Nancy transforms and she's begging him to let her go and she's handcuffed and trying to pull against the table she's attached to it's all very tense and he's so scared and i think it's a really good performance from a minor role in that he's asking what's happening to him and you feel very claustrophobic with all the close-ups the fact that the setting's quite small and they're so close together and you really fear for her and so i think that's a really nicely set up scene there 
I have to agree with you though. This is one of the good bits of this episode, despite my constant complaints. I like it. It's good. And I think you summed it up very well. It's claustrophobic. I think for me, it might be the scariest moment of the episode. Yeah, I think it'd be between this and the jump scare. Although the jump scare is a bit overrated for its scariness. Talking as a relatively kind of adult person. What would your next standout moment be? It would be the Doctor's realisation of what's going on with all this stuff, with the nanogenes and with Captain Jack, because this is, we talk about this a lot, angry Doctor moments. Can we start calling it that from now on? Angry Doctor moments. Because We have a jingle just for that. The Doctor's getting angry, so hide in your shelter. You don't want him to be angry with you. Um, yeah, it's a great moment because it's like the one angry moment of this episode we get. And it's good because the anger is well-founded. I think in the past we've been a bit like, where's this anger coming from? But I think because now he thinks all these people are dead, it's completely well-founded to be angry at Captain Jack in this moment. And it's not like Captain Jack's arguing back like Adam is, which annoys me about those moments. It's just the doctors are like, you've done something wrong, you big idiot. And it's like a teacher telling someone off because Captain Jack's like, yeah, sorry. Like a teacher telling a student off. Exactly. And it also introduces Captain Jack as a quite careless character that the doctor would therefore be quite opposed to because since the time war, he's arguably become more measured in his responses to things, probably since meeting Rose even. And just that entire section at the crash site, I really enjoy. I love the chat between Nancy and Rose about how the Germans don't win. And Nancy's saying that she's mad, what future? And just the joy on Nancy's face, that's another great performance from the actress who plays Nancy there. How happy she is how bemused and completely elated she is that there's a future beyond World War II and that she could potentially have a future if she survives the next few years. It's really heartwarming. And particularly the moment when she sort of stutters, but you're not German. And it's another example of Rose being put with a character who's almost similar to her but not quite and that scene therefore flourishing we see it in the unquiet dead in the end of the world her with Harriet Jones even maybe that's a bit more of a stretch but she's good with the supporting characters in a sort of one-to-one scenario so I really like that scene. The, the bit I like about that is when Nancy goes quite earnestly she goes it's not that all right you've got a time machine I believe you believe anything me but what future she's she's like i believe time travel exists and i believe aliens exist and blah 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 but i I can't believe that we have a future it's quite heartbreaking i think such a truthful and tragic representation of someone a civilian in world war ii and i think i said last week that the setting is almost more of a supporting feature rather than the main thing. Of course, the bombs are central and the blitz are central to the fact that the gas mask zombies are up and about. But it is still a sci-fi thing. So World War II sort of is a consequential setting. I'm not sure if I've used that rightly, but it sounds clever. Yeah, but this is when it sort of comes to the front a bit yeah yeah I, I would agree with that you get a moment to forget about all the sci-fi elements and the introductions of new characters and the nanogenes and all that and you just see someone who is stuck in one of the most hellish periods that our planet has seen and it's it, you're right it's heartbreaking and so that's why it's even nicer that her character ultimately gets a rather happy ending yeah yay her and great performance but we're going to get into that in our character section I've got two more stand-up moments, and they're both the Doctor lines. The first one is when he's talking to the people just before he leaves. He talks to all the civilians, and he goes, right, you lot, lots to do. Beat the Germans, save the world. Don't forget about the welfare state. And why that really stuck out to me is because if you know anything about Christopher Eccleston, you know, he's a very politically active guy for, for the left wing. And I was like, that sounds like something Christopher Eccleston would say. Don't forget about the welfare state. 
it made me laugh. It's like he ended it himself. I like the thought of that, that it was his own view coming forward. But I'd also say that Doctor Who, in its revival, was quite liberal in its views, in the, in the political views that it promoted. And it was in the classic era as well. And the Daleks were actually effectively meant to mirror the Nazis. Although I think it's less of a controversial opinion to um, bag on the Nazis. And I would also say that my last standout moment is just a little bit before that, when the Doctor realises the truth about Nancy and Jamie. And he's so accepting of it. And that also promotes quite a liberal and sympathetic view. You know, supporting and not judging someone who as a single mother, a young single mother, would be demonised by some representations in TV and film. Yeah, it's kind of brushed over as well, but it's good. Yeah. Exactly. And he just looks at her and it's such a big realisation. It really matters to the plot, but it's so subtly acted. He just looks at her and goes, he's not your brother, is he? And she starts crying and it's a very vulnerable and human moment. And it's so slow compared to the fact that you have loads of gas mask zombies approaching and a bomb soon to fall on the craft site. And so it's almost like time stands still for that reveal. And I think it's really well executed. Potentially my favourite section of the episode is that little bit, well, the end bit at the craft site. It's a good moment. I'd, I'd have to agree with you there. I have one more stand-up moment, and it's another Doctor line that did really make me laugh. Um, it's when Rose says that the Doctor's not Santa, and then the Doctor replies with, who says I'm not? Red bicycle when you were 12. Because it's such a bizarre moment, and it's just like they don't explain it, and it doesn't make total sense, and normally that's something that would annoy me over analytical Mr. Dean but I let it slide this time because it did make me laugh. This was actually my final note on the standout moments. Just the Doctor's Father Christmas, question mark, question mark, question mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. It's such a funny sentence that's so subtly interwoven that you almost forget it. And that's something that Stephen Moffat carries in his writing all the way through to when he's head writer. Those sort of throwaway lines that if you actually focused on them would actually really change your perception of certain characters, especially if the Doctor is Father Christmas. Maybe he is, children, maybe he is. But since we're now sort of talking about the Doctor and Father Christmas and all these individual characters, shall we move on to our next section of the podcast? I think that sounds absolutely dandy, if you ask me, which you are. So let's go. In this section, Mr. Dean and Mr. Andrea like to go through the characters one by one and discuss their strengths, their weaknesses and everything in between. And every week we start with the same character and that character is called Mr. Doctor Who. Go on ahead. Tell me your little thoughts, little one. Thanks taller one this has got weird so the doctor i think this is a really strong performance from the ninth doctor i say the ninth doctor because every performance by christopher eccleston is great it's just there are certain doctors well versions of his doctor that i prefer and this is one of them you see his tender side when it comes to nancy and jamie and the realization that they're actually mother and son you see his rage when he confronts Jack about how it's actually his fault. You also see his forgiving side later when Jack makes the sacrifice and goes sailing off into the sky on that big Schlechter wolf bomb. And then you also see the comical side with the bananas and he's also kind of vulnerable side. I've said side way too much, but I'm going to roll with it. That's fine. Thank you. Thank you. But when I say vulnerable side, I mean when he seems hurt that Rose assumes he doesn't dance. And it's almost like because he's this great being, this godlike being who saunters through worlds a million miles from the earth. And he's, he's sort of, because of that, not even on the same level as Rose. She sees the gap between them, whereas he just wants to be friends and to be seen like Jack is seen. As he said in Father's Day. Exactly. So he almost feels misunderstood. Which I can imagine 
being misunderstood by the person in your life who matters the most to you, especially now you've lost all the people who ever might have understood you properly and known you fully. He maybe doesn't like being so enigmatic, well, being perceived as so enigmatic. Although he does sort of set himself up for it, admittedly, when he's like, go home, Rose Tyler, forget me, all that stuff in Rose. But by this point, he wants Rose to see him as a friend rather than the doctor. And that's something that obviously happens later, especially with the 10th Doctor and Rose. But you can see the 9th Doctor's frustration at it here. And he's just a bit of a funky guy in this episode. He goes through all the extremes. And that's why I like him. What do you think? I know I said in Dalek that that was my favourite Christopher Eccleston portrayal of the Doctor. But now I'm not sure. Because in this episode, you do, as you say, get the whole variety. He's angry. He's sad. He's fun. He's quirky. He's sad. He's angry. He's fun. And he's quirky. Yeah. So, it's pretty good. I like some of the jokes he makes. They're good and they don't feel out of place like they have in the past. And his anger is well-founded, like I said earlier on. And you're right about his whole thing with vulnerability and how he he distrusts Captain Jack. And I think, I don't know if it's supposed to be like this, but in this episode, I agree with his mistrust instead of, roses which is not something that you would normally get in an episode but it works well here and you're right with the whole dancing moment it did make me laugh at the end when he's like oh i just remembered how to dance and starts dancing with captain jack it's good stuff i love christopher Eccleston. i feel like i end every summary of christopher Eccleston's character with i love christopher Eccleston," but i'm gonna keep that in you should because why not he's an interesting character in this show, definitely. He's worth the love. <laughs> He's worth the love, indeed. I would actually say that, though it is funny, that last bit in the TARDIS, when he says, oh, Rose, I just remembered, I can dance. It seems so un-Doctor Who for me, just that entire ending, and I'll get onto that more in improvements. But that's probably my least favourite part of his Doctor, just not because of the Doctor, but just because it seems like a random, strictly fied end of the episode it's sort of bunged on the end in my opinion so i'm not a big fan of that scene but he is very comical throughout and i think because the story at heart is so human and family-based that though he has no family left you can see the sort of affection and warmth and humanity that was left there by them yeah no you i i get where you're coming from but you're wrong next character is rose i think she doesn't do a lot in this episode you're right the good scenes the one with nancy but we've talked about that so i don't really have anything to say i don't have a lot to say either which is unusual as i'm sure everyone who lives with me will tell you but she sort of doesn't annoy me as much as she does in the empty child maybe because there's less of the angst towards the doctor yeah. Like she's still way too attached to Jack, considering that her loyalty seems split, despite the fact that she's known the Doctor so much longer. It just doesn't seem realistic, and it seems forced, but not in the same way that it's forced with Adam, but it's still forced. She's kind of inoffensive in this episode, whereas she is offensive in the previous episode. So she's gone up in my estimations again, but yeah, not much to say. Yeah, she... she does it less i think captain jack i do like in this episode because he he's like very adamant that he's done nothing wrong but it doesn't strike me as annoying in this episode it's kind of just it fits with his character at this moment and then at the end obviously he does have the whole turn to the good side so to speak which i also enjoy yeah we see his redemption in this episode which of course is key to the future versions of Jack that we see throughout Russell T Davis's era of Revival Who. And so we're an inch closer to the Jack that I think we all adore and enjoy seeing on our screens. Fun fact, actually, Captain Jack was originally going to be called Captain Jacks, and he was going to be an interstellar alien soldier. Just a fun fact for you there. I know I could have done it in my fun fact section, but what can I say? I'm a rebel. Yeah, so I don't want to hear it. Let's move on to the next character. Who is Nancy? I've basically said everything I want to say about Nancy. She works better in this episode. She has the good emotional moment at the end, which is well acted. 
And yeah, that's it, I think, for me. I think part of the reason she comes into her own more in this episode is the fact that you are led to believe that she's just the sister of the child and is sort of wrapped up in it from afar, wrapped up in everything that's going on from a distance in the empty child. Whereas obviously with her, the, with the mystery that surrounds her in the second episode, it's a different mystery to the first episode because we think that she's like a supernatural ghost who just disappears down alleyways and things and the empty child but it's more who is she how does she fit into the picture how does Jamie fit into the picture and so with her involvement in the episode in the story increasing she becomes more relevant and interesting as a character and quite intriguing and I think she does allow for some of the best and most emotional scenes in this episode yeah i'll give you that that is all the characters we have to talk about because that's pretty much it in this episode unless we want to start talking about whatever let's move on to the most pretentious section of the podcast This is the section of the podcast where professional screenwriter Andrea, star of script and stage and screen, Triple Threat, tells us how she would beat Stephen Moffat in a fight if they ever got in a fight and how she would improve this episode if she wanted to. So please start with the fight and then move on to the episode. Thank you. I think I tickle him and then pull down his trousers. (laughs) I think that's how I'd go about it. I don't think I'd win on muscle strength. You'd pull down his trousers. No, not not so that he was exposed. And, you know, just a bit of a tickle under the arms. I think I'd win. Go on. How would you improve the episode? I will. I will swiftly move on. My first improvement we've talked about. Jack is a bit too slow when reacting to his RAF mate. When he transforms into a gas mask zombie and asks him, Mummy, Jack, what are you doing? What a little plonker. Yeah, plonker. Secondly, there's not really enough panic about the approaching gas mask zombies whilst they're at the crash site. I've already said how I love how it sort of seems to be a very still moment when the doctor is questioning Nancy about her relation to Jamie. But before that, Nancy, all she does is go, Rose? And Rose looks at the gas mask zombies approaching out of the shadows and towards the crash site and there are flames all around because of the bombing and it's a really tense scenario and no one seems too worried initially. I'd be like, damn it, they found us, how scary, this is terrifying and all that stuff. I'd be screaming, they're not, I think they should be. Thirdly, Jack's appearance on the bomb is a bit cringy for me and the doctor does a u-turn regarding his opinion on Jack. I've said that we see his forgiving side and I think we need that because obviously you need Jack to be forgiven so that he can join the TARDIS crew, as it were, at the end of the episode. But the Doctor goes from being completely livid with him to beaming side to side when he reappears. And I feel like the music's just very valiant and extravagant in that moment. And it's almost like, wow, Jack's here, wow. And it just seems a bit forced after you've had this really big emotional resolution it's just sort of an added on bit and I know you need it but I just feel it could have been done and executed in a better less cheesy way yeah I don't think you get rid of the scene I think you just do it different yeah yeah you can't get rid of it because then the bad wolf reference is gone and we don't want that I mean select a wolf how cool and how subtle but yeah just maybe a bit more understated maybe the ninth doctor be a little less wow what a good boy you are jack after he's just created the whole scenario that almost killed you know hundreds of people yeah yeah okay yeah 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 what's your next improvement my next improvement mr dean is this how well actually it's not an improvement that's a bit underwhelming i'm sorry but it's a question. I put this to you. How do the nanogenes centre around the Doctor's hands at the end? It's something that I've never picked up upon before, but it's not explained. 
how he's like waving his hands around, all the yellow nanogenes are like waving around. He's able to just push them off at all the gas mask zombies and heal them all. And you need that healing because this is the episode where everybody lives. But how does he have the ability to heal them all with the nanogenes? Well, here's where you're not watching the episode in enough detail, Mr. Andrea. Because previously, on Captain Jack's ship, the Doctor does show some command over them because they heal his hand and then he clicks and they all reappear around his hand and then he vanishes them on command again. So he shows control over them in this scene to set up the fact that he can do it in the finale. And no, it doesn't explain why, but at least they have established it previously on in the episode that's something that is possible with this technology. That That is a good comeback at me. I did admittedly forget that. But I still think it's a bit, I'd say it's cheesy again. It works. I like how he's the one who gets to save them all in the end. But the line... Rose, you wanted moves, I'll show you moves, or whatever that line is. I don't really like the dancing element of this, and this takes me naturally on to my next improvement. It's all about dancing. I know it's called The Doctor Dances, but we all know what dancing is a euphemism for. Why are we getting into that territory with Doctor Who? And it's just, I feel it's a bit cringy, a bit cheesy. That's what I would say is the negative side of this episode. I'd also say it's a bit dark. It sounds stupid because it's in the Blitz, but after a while, it's a bit like 42. Everything is red in 42. And after a while, your interest and your concentration dwindles a little bit because you're looking at the same thing over and over again. And you sort of get that with the shadowy darkness of this episode, at least I do. But the dancing metaphor that continues throughout this episode seems rather out of nowhere. And I don't think you need to see the Doctor in an overly dancey, sexual light as a sort of heroic, masculine character for Rose to adore later. I feel like any affection that companions feel for him would be based more on friendship. And so it all seems a bit out of nowhere. Yeah, fair enough. Do you have any more improvements for us? Well, it's not really an improvement, but it's just personally for me, I feel like everything's just a bit too serious and then too happy. You're meant to have that moment of elation where everyone lives, but it's still World War II. Just saying, still World War II, not out of the woods yet. And that's a really depressing point to end my improvements on, but that is the end of the most pretentious section of the podcast. Well... Can I slide in a bit and give an improvement of my own, which I feel like we haven't mentioned yet in the episode, apart from in my plot summary? Whoa, slide in, my friend. Yeah, and it's Rose's complete disgust at um, the human race's sexual fluidity in the future. The look on her face makes it look like Captain Jack was actually Hitler in disguise this entire time. She just looks like completely disgusted by it. She is shocked and appalled and she's like wow that's what we do like get over it rose it is a bit dated as well in its view and you can't really say that for a lot of stuff in dog two yeah we do have two moments that could be interpreted as a little homophobic in this episode and maybe that's because it's Stephen moffat and not russell t davis but who am i to sling accusations like that yeah who are you exactly shall we go on to our ratings Yeah, let's go. This is the section where we give the episode our final rating. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Dean, two questions. Number one, why are you talking so fast? And question number two, what is the rating system? Well, dear listener, the rating system is a tiny bit complicated, so I'm talking fast so I can get through it quickly. Okay, let's go through this. It's rated on a scale of 1 to 13, 1 being the worst, 13 being the best, because there are 13 Doctors. But this does not mean the first Doctor is the worst or the 13th Doctor is the best. It's just an arbitrary system we have come up with. Speaking of which, this being entirely arbitrary, we have given one decimal place as a score, and that's an 8.5, a.k.a. a war doctor. So, 1 to 13, including an 8.5. Simple, 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 simple. And I have given this episode a 9, because I think it's great. Despite slagging it off the entire episode, there's some really strong moments. I just think it can be overappreciated at times. What do you think, Andrew? Well, considering you're the one who slagged it off, 
all of this podcast episode, I actually thought I'd rate it better, but I gave it a War Doctor, an 8.5, because I know that there are many episodes that I prefer. There's not much I've got against this episode. It's just, as you said, there's a bit too much hype around it because it's seen as so scary. And I personally prefer Stephen Moffat episodes in the future, and also just Doctor Who episodes that we've already had and in the future. So I didn't feel I could rate it that highly. I deducted points, two points for all the dancing, one point for Jack on the bomb being a bit cheesy slash cringy, one point for flirting between the Doctor and Rose, and I, I know that links to dancing, but just way too much dancing. It's not strictly Stephen Moffat, and then half a point for how the ending sort of fizzles out at the end with the dancing. It's not a very glamorous, elevating, or exciting end to quite an eventful heightened episode yeah that's fair enough so i'd like to thank everyone for listening and i would invite you to join us next week when we're talking about boomtown another episode of farts and slovenes so make sure to tune into that because you're really going to find me grating wow and please do follow us on all kinds of things we've got instagram at at chatty pod we also have an email chatty pod at gmail.com so please do message us with any thoughts on what we've said or any suggestions about what we could discuss in future podcast episodes and of course we're on anchor fm at chatty watty so please do follow us and email us and all those things reach out to us we're very lonely people yeah and please feel free to give us a five star review on apple itunes but it has to be five stars because if it's any low we won't read the review so if you want to insult us and hurt our feelings which is quite easy then give us five stars, write something mean, and then you'll hurt our feelings. Uh, Yes, that's about it for this week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye.